Welcome to Candid Conversations with Dr. Mayfield. This episode is sponsored by Springs Mental Health Summit, a summit for parents, teachers, neighbors, and friends to talk about mental health in our community. For more information, go to springsummit.org. Here's your host, Trevor Sharon. Thank you for joining us on Candid Conversations. We're so glad to be here. I get the distinct honor of having one of my close friends, uh, Peter Jordal, on the air. He is the co-host of the uh, show I Used to Pray for Superpowers, a nerd podcast, and also a sleep technician at Delta Waves here in Colorado Springs. Uh, And he is here to talk to Dr. Mayfield and I about sleep. So one of my favorite things to do is to sleep. Amen. I'd like, like I look forward, I wake up in the morning going, okay, I'm going to plan my day around when I get to go to bed. And this is like, <laughs> I'm just going to you know, be completely honest here, but I love sleep. And so I'm so happy that you're here with us. We love what Delta Waves does. Uh, we've, we've, you know, we know uh, and have worked with uh, you guys in the past and would love to work with you guys more in the future, but just grateful for the uh, information you have to bring. So I think why sleep? Like, I know why I like it because it's my quiet space and you know i can kind of escape and rejuvenate and that kind of stuff but um most people in this culture uh, are off you know say that they're too busy for sleep and i'm sure you probably hear that a lot so why is sleep so important well uh you actually hit on it you use the word rejuvenate uh and that that really is probably the biggest thing is a lot of people think that they can get by on five to six hours of sleep uh, and cups of coffee or energy drinks. And the problem is that the brain isn't built to su- sustain that for long. Uh, if you're missing that sleep, what's happening in your brain is, is a lack of cell regeneration. Uh, your neuropathways are not recovering as they should. Um, and uh, Dr., uh, Dr. Matthew Walker says, at less than seven, any anything less than seven hours of sleep, your brain is not healing from the day. Uh, and a big part of it too is is memory. Um, they look more and more at Alzheimer's and sleep being connected. Uh, and you see a lot of differences in dementia and Alzheimer's when the patient is asleep, their brain looks a lot different than it should versus when they're awake, it actually seems a bit more healthy. And so you're not getting the memory that you should. I mean, that's... I got to sit with that for a second. I think our listeners do too. That's, I mean, that's powerful stuff. Uh, but a couple of thoughts went off in my head too, and I don't want to take this a different direction, but just the thoughts that I had, you know, we work so closely with teenagers mm-hmm. and, you know, with the suicide epidemic in our population and, and whatnot. And I wonder, again, probably a different conversation for a different time, but I wonder how much sleep has to play into that because they're not allowing themselves to regenerate. The cells aren't, you know, getting that, that break and, and, um, yeah, no, definitely. A uh, study by um, Russell, Dr. Russell Foster, who's a neuroscientist, um, showed that uh, high schoolers, teenagers, between the ages of really 12 and 20, you should be getting nine hours of sleep. So more than we actually say than the eight. Uh, and on average, he's saying it's maybe five, five and a half hours that teenagers are getting. Uh, and uh, we see in a lot of studies that things like major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, OCD, anxiety, all of those are can be brought on by or severely worsened by a lack of sleep. And so you have these teenagers who are worried about school, so they stay up late studying, then they get up to catch their 520 a.m. bus, 
and then they're still stressed at the end of the day and they haven't slept, they stay up again. And so it's, it's this cycle that is just brutal to our, our youth in this nation. And, uh, I, you said go, going into this later, but just to throw this out there, there was a, a school uh, district in Idaho that changed their start times from seven in the morning to 10. And they go from 10 to six. And their SAT scores uh, grew more than any other SAT scores in a year in the nation. So they're the worth of the sleep and the normalcy of life that that granted those kids from kindergarten through high school was just phenomenal. That's amazing. Well, it baffles me, you know, that we, uh, we push success on our kids in, in, in the ways that look like higher SAT scores or performance oriented stuff. We don't consider the whole person. And so you're talking about this idea that, uh, the school in Idaho pushed back, you know, start times and things improved. Um, you know, why isn't the rest of the country doing that? It's, I don't think they, they don't take the holistic approach. And I'm being very fatalistic in that, in that comment. But I know for me, like when I was working on my dissertation, uh, I had to get sleep or I couldn't wait. You know, cause I, my dissertation was written between the hours of 4.30 and about 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, but I would go to bed at like 8.30 or 9 and get my sleep and then get up. And, and I was most creative and most, you know, because it's when you wake up, you're supposed to be the most rejuvenated in the mornings. Um but it was also this idea that if I didn't, if I worked for 45 minutes, took a 20 minute break, worked for 45 minutes, took a 20 minute break, uh, I did, I was able to do more in three hours than I was if I sat for three hours and worked. Um, but I think it all has, it's the holistic approach that we, we ignore. Well, and I want to ask the question, I've been through times in my life where I was getting that amount of sleep, but I woke up exhausted just miserably exhausted and in a fatigue that didn't go away. And, and I think, you know, some of that was um, a, a depression that I was going through at the time, but there was definitely something where my sleep was not cutting it for me. Yeah. Well, with that though, I'm going to ask me you know, put that into a question yeah. for you, Peter is uh, sleep is not sleep is not sleep. So right. if somebody sleeps nine hours. It doesn't mean they're going to be rejuvenated in the morning. It has to be a certain kind of sleep, right? Yeah, it has to be good sleep. Uh, in the sleep world, we talk about the quality of your sleep. So if you have nine hours or eight hours and you wake up and you're just exhausted, um, definitely depression can play a role in that. Um, we see what's called alpha wave intrusion uh, in patients with chronic pain and um, uh, depressive disorders. And so this increase in alpha wave activity uh, we're not quite sure what it is in the in the sleep world yet, but what it looks like is the brain is functioning at a faster pace. Mm. And so when you should be resting in the deepest stages of sleep, you have these sudden bursts of neuroactivity that interrupt it. Um, and so that's part of it. But another thing is there are, are 80 sleep disorders uh, at this time that we know about. And um, at, at Delta Waves, we do polysomnograms and we t test for 60 of them. And most of these sleep disorders either keep you from falling asleep or they wake you up throughout the night. And so you can sleep for eight hours, um, but you're not going to get that rejuvenation unless you hit the deep sleep. Which is the REM cycle, correct? Right. There's there's stage three and then there's REM. So there's stages one, N1, N2, N3, and REM. And so if you hit stages one and two, that's 
you know, just asleep. Your, your hearing is still active in stage one. If your eyes are not fully closed, your eyes are still active in N1. Um, you drift into N2, your brain waves uh, start having a lower amplitude uh, and they enter more of a low amplitude mixed frequency set instead of a faster rhythm. And this, that is, is kind of the, the start of it. It's the spark that starts that rejuvenation, but nothing happens until you hit three and REM. And the problem is if you have an arousal where your, your body wakes you up uh, because you're not breathing correctly or there's uh, like a neuro disconnect or something's happening to, to wake you, you go back into one or two and you don't go back into those deep stages. And so you'll have, you know, two minutes of deep sleep or I've, I've had patients where they have less than 30 seconds of REM because they've, as soon as they hit REM, your body over relaxes and their airway becomes blocked. They gasp for air and they're back in stage one. So Dang. no restorative sleep. So uh, what could have been happening for me and others who feel that waking up exhausted is there could be something causing your sleep not to go through a normal progression of the stages and you're not hitting that deep sleep due to either a disorder or maybe something environmentally that's keeping you from going into those. Oh, definitely. A lot of that from the holistic standpoint, right, has to do with what we eat, how late we eat, when we eat, how much are we exercising? Doesn't, I mean, don't they all kind of work together? Yeah. Um, I really like what uh, Matthew Walker says. He's the head of the sleep lab, um, UC Berkeley, and he's Google sleep scientist. Uh, and he, what he says is, he originally thought that there's, it's a triangle. It's physical health, mental health, and sleep. And what he's found is that sleep is the foundation. And then if sleep isn't good, the other two don't matter. Um, you're not going to be able to have healthy physical life or mental life if you don't have good sleep. Um, but definitely eating the wrong foods, um, things like acid reflux, um, higher sugar or caffeine. Uh, caffeine after noon, after your lunch, is usually a bad idea. Coffee takes eight hours to really, or caffeine takes eight hours to really leave your system. So if you're having a coffee at two and you're trying to go to bed at eight, your mind is not going to shut down as it should. Uh, and again, exercise is a great way to get yourself to sleep. It, it exhausts you, uh, it pushes you to sleep. Um, and, and then along with that, going into, um, not just, not just, uh, food and exercise, but your surroundings, you, you shouldn't have electronics. You shouldn't have, uh, you shouldn't have screens. You shouldn't have, uh, lights. You know, you should have a dark room. You should have a cool room. Your body should drop three to four degrees Celsius or three to four degrees Fahrenheit uh, at night because that helps you sleep. You should take a, a hot shower before you go to bed because when you get out, your core temperature drops. These are all interesting. Things, I, I mean, I these are the things that I do. I didn't know that you were supposed to do that kind of stuff. Women, we love sleeping cold or at least having it cold enough where we put blankets on so we open windows or turn the air conditioning up. And I always like taking a hot shower before bed. But, you know, like I wish... And, and maybe this will lead into, you know, what you do in, in the, the Delta waves. But I wish we had this, every counselor, every person had a list of the top five things to increase 
good sleep, you know, and obviously it's not carte blanche across the board. It's going to work for everybody, but at least some healthy habits. And we always talk about, you know, sleep hygiene with our clients. What does your sleep hygiene look like? And uh, routine, I think, is supposed to be the best, right? Yes. Yeah, having a good routine is one of the best ways to get yourself to sleep. Um, I have a seven-month-old daughter, and in all the parenting books uh, that my wife read, <laughs> um, it says having a routine before bedtime uh, is most important. You know, you, you do this specifically every night before bed, and the baby will fall asleep because they're used to that routine. And then we reach 12, you know, and that routine goes out the window, and we never pick it up again. Um, but having that routine where you, you know, you put your phone away, you brush your teeth, and you read. Um, a study came out recently, reading on an electronic reader uh, has the same effect as reading a book. So that, it's it's the movement of the screen, not the light emit um, that's being emitted. It's the screen, it's it's your eyes. That's good to know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I so I'm, a, I'm an old-fashioned guy, like I hate reading on screens or readers, readers, I need a physical book. But for those that that's what they have, that's good to know that it's not going to create. Yeah. And, th- and this was one study. Sure. So sure. Now, while you're talking about that in routines, it brings up something that I love talking about to the point where my wife rolls her eyes whenever I bring it up and teases me for it is circadian rhythm. Yeah. Um, and before I totally butcher it, you knowing more than I do. Uh, would you mind explaining what a circadian rhythm is? Yeah, so uh, circadian rhythm is your body's natural inclination to follow the movement of the sun for its wake and sleep. Um, now, the sun changes when it rises and when it sets based on its the Earth's position and the tilt of the Earth and all that. So uh, there's varying, you know, not everyone's going to be synced up uh, people are going to wake up at five when it's still a little dark or at seven after the sun has been up for a while. But the biggest thing is that the circadian rhythm is, it's like a bathtub for the human body, right? Every every human has a bathtub that fills at night and is drained throughout the day. And the circadian rhythm is the filling and the emptying. So you wake up, you should have a lot of energy. That bathtub is full. And as the day wears on, you have less and less energy. Mm-hmm. And your body's natural inclination, you have uh, three rises and falls just throughout the day based on your habits. You wake up, you have energy, you're waking up, and the circadian rhythm has you up. You've eaten food, uh, hopefully you've stretched or worked out or done something mentally stimulating to help you wake up. Uh, and the circadian rhythm will continue to rise as the sun rises, and you'll have your first uh, physical dip in energy. You eat lunch, it goes back up as the afternoon goes on. Uh, and then it drops again and goes up and then down with the circadian rhythm as that sun finishes setting. So it's this combination of both, really it's, you know, the the sleep, uh, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, it says it's two bathtubs. You have your personal energy and the circadian rhythm. So what they call the personal energy, so I've read in a, in a study that there's the circadian rhythm and then there's sleep pressure. And so circadian rhythm, you know, if you look at it as two opposing triangles, uh, you know, and the circadian rhythm is at its fullest when you wake up, you know, and then it starts to decline throughout the day. And then sleep pressure is at its lowest when you wake up and begins to build. And there's a point where it crosses, which is the perfect time to take a nap. 
and then you you know sleep pressure continues to rise until it's time to go to bed and circadian rhythm is at its lowest is that well i think you bring up a really great point on top of that question is there a good time to take naps are naps a good thing or a bad thing two wonderful questions (laughs) um honestly the nap thing i'm not certain uh based on what i've uh looked into and read uh you shouldn't ever need a nap your body should be able to sustain itself without the nap um but there is there is a point in the day usually right after lunch where your body is ready for a rest um but a nap and going to sleep is usually um more detrimental than helpful uh, because your body will struggle to wake up unless you get a full cycle in that out and you'd need to sleep for an hour and a half because you want to get through the stages and wake up naturally which is so interesting because i if i sleep for an hour and a half in the afternoon i'm toast right you're you're done i'm done for the day but if i sit on this couch which i often do after lunch and i'll take a just close my eyes for 15 minutes you know, I'm in one and two, I'm stage one and two probably, never get to three or REM. Uh, I'm great. I you know I feel like you know it energizes me for the rest of the day. And I you know again it's it's not a hard. I mean for me it's you know probably for everybody it's different. But I feel like it's that you know one o'clock one fifteen is where the sleep pressure and the circadian rhythm kind of meet on the axes, and then one keeps on going down, the other one keeps on going up. But I met people that have to have a 15 minute nap, which probably then, or a 20 minute nap, which probably says something else about their night sleep is not as rejuvenating as it probably should be. Right. Or, well, um, this is, this is moving to my, my knowledge versus complete knowledge. So that's fine. Sure. Yeah, that's great. Just, um, making kind of guesses based on a 15 minute nap. You're, you're probably not getting to stage three or REM. And so stage one and two, what I'm assuming is the act of falling asleep is more restful for your eyes Mm. and your frontal lobe is where we see a lot of that uh, alpha wave activity and that dies off in one and two um, where it's constantly functioning throughout the day. Your brainwaves are kind of looking crazy throughout the day. So that that's probably what I I needed is just to turn my brain off for a little bit. Well, it sounds like a pattern interrupt, something we talked about in our self-care episode where that nap for you is a, is allowing your brain to decrease the alpha waves and get a pattern interrupt so then you feel rejuvenated. I know for me, I the best naps I've ever taken are typically an hour and a half, um, and it, consistently an hour and a half. Um, so it's cool to see like how in the past when I take a nap, I'm going through a full cycle in that hour and a half, and that's why I feel totally set and ready. Well, afterwards, and it's interesting to me too, is it confirms, and I've I've kind of kind of known this, but when I when I get clients coming in and we t- t- tell our staff to really take a, a sleep history, uh, you know, not not in the ways that you guys would do it at Delta Waves, but in a way that's going okay, you know, what kind of sleep are you getting? And this is where postpartum depression with new moms just skyrockets because you're not getting sleep. I mean, your hormones are hormones are out of whack from from giving birth, but then if you're you know getting an hour hour and a half or less of, you know, consistent sleep and then being woken up to feed the baby. And, uh, you know, I, I know the research we've done from a psychological standpoint is if you, that happens for more than three days, you can be diagnosed clinically insane uh, because you're not getting the rejuvenating sleep that you're supposed to be getting. Wow. wow. Diagnosed, clinic, diagnosed clinically insane after? Three days of, of not getting rejuvenating sleep. 
man, that is intense. I had no idea. And I mean, that's kind of the 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 Litman's test, but I'm not sure it's hard and fast for everybody, right? Right. Because our bodies, DNA, environment, all play into it. But from a from a standardized stamp you know, place, and I I see that all the time. Somebody coming in and, and they say, "Well, I haven't slept the last three days," and I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm hearing, th- you know, it's not right. schizophrenic. It's just. I well, I want to touch on that real quick. Uh, there's actually there's there's some science now. Genes that have been known to be very important to the gen the the generation the building of normal sleep, when those mutate that predisposes someone to schizophrenia. That makes sense. So, which is the ser- and schizophrenia is based off of overactive serotonin exactly. neurotransmitting, which is our sleep neurochemical. Yeah, that's wow. <laughs> no, Peter, we only have a few more minutes left on the show. And wait, wait, I, wait, we have to have him back. And, right, right, totally. We have to do it part two, <laughs> of, part two of this series. This we can is... talk about sleep until we sleep. Bedtime. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, in the in the hallway, just before we started recording, you were listing off some really interesting facts about sleep and not getting enough sleep that I'd love for you to share with our listeners, as well as um, like a final encouragement of a few things that we can do that may change the way that we sleep or how we're doing it. Yeah. Uh, you might have to remind me of those sleep facts. Uh, I think there was something about you can be 10 years older than oh, you Oh, yes. Uh, if you are getting uh, less than seven hours of sleep a night, your hormone levels are that of someone 10 years your senior who's getting adequate sleep. So you're, you're sacrificing two hours of sleep for work or whatever you're doing in the morning or at night, but you're really damaging your body by a decade. So you're, you're losing time. Uh, and it's, it's what I say to, to all my patients that come in. Uh, if you sleep on average eight hours a night, that's a third of each day. That's 30% of your life by the time you die. If you're not sleeping well, you're getting a C in life. Assuming you're doing the two thirds that you're awake well, right. <laughs> which right. you won't be because you're not getting Sleeping. enough sleep yeah. to do well while you're awake. Totally. Um, Hi, my name is Mark, and I'm a 47 year old man. Like that's what I mean. If I'm not, oh, sleeping, so I was right. like, you're not 47. <laughs> no, no, but if I'm if I'm adding the 10 years because I've I've I, sleep is important, uh, but I have chosen in times to sacrifice. Yeah sleep for other things and it's like no, that's motivation right there to go nope sorry nine, well, o'clock, nine o'clock bedtime <laughs> super interesting for me because i've had a couple people ask me like how i'm able to do everything i do and like how much sleep i'm sacrificing and i'm like oh no like i go to sleep at a, at like 9 30 10 o'clock and i'm up at five o'clock or 5 30 and that's just that doesn't change no matter what and so now there's some sort of backing where i can just say like oh i just sleep well well, if you go to bed at ten, you have to get up at six. That's eight hours. You can get. I mean, it's set less than seven is the danger. Less line. than you seven, should, okay. Okay. And you want to push for like you know more. You know, more so like I should. Eight. What? So if I'm doing like nine forty-five or ten o'clock to five forty-five. Yeah, I mean, and and really, it's it's less than seven where you start having those hormone got it deficiencies. So I'm still okay. You're I'm good. still okay. You're good. Okay. Actually, I'm okay then too because I. Usually nine o'clock and get up at or ten o'clock and get up at five thirty. Or yeah. do you wake up to an alarm clock? Um, as of late, just because of everything going on in my life, yes. Typically, no. Okay. Is well, that a bad thing? It is. Uh, it, it waking up to an alarm clock 
uh, shocks you out of deeper sleep, um, especially if it's loud and jarring. Uh, and there are a couple things about that. Uh, it, it takes away that rest. Uh, coming out of REM unnaturally is is exhausting. That's like when you wake up and you're like Robin Williams from Jumanji. And you're like, what year is it? And you're just like disoriented. That's that's that alarm clock feeling because you're coming out of REM suddenly. And so if you're waking up to an alarm clock and you're groggy and you have to get your coffee and a shower before you feel awake, um, one thing I would suggest is a really quiet alarm 15 minutes earlier that doesn't wake you up. Something that's just like a subtle noise that won't, it won't pull you out of sleep, but it'll pull you out of that deeper sleep without fully waking you. Um, and that is that is based on my knowledge of sleep, which is isn't doctorate. It's not it's not this big thing, but I have some, and it's based on personal experience. Uh, well, I can't wake up to an alarm clock, and that's why I'm so so fascinated by some of these. You know, what people call them harebrained inventions, but it's not. I mean, it's like a a coffee pot uh, alarm clock where it. 545 it's going to brew me a pot of coffee and it's going to pull oh, me out of that sleep sounds that scent. you know that scent yeah. yeah pulls you out of the deeper sleep into like uh, whoever's out there listening that wants to invent that we probably should uh, you know and then donate it to us yeah right <laughs> uh, yeah. we will not say no no we won't say no at all but i think it's it's a that's a really good uh reminder and a suggestion for our listeners is those two alarms i never thought about it that way because right now I'm in a, I mean, we just moved and business is taking, you know, there's a lot of things going on where the alarm clock has, has to wake me up. Um, cause I usually, you know, uh, don't wake up on my own. So the, this one before to this, I like that a lot. Yeah. I like that. Peter, we will absolutely be having you on the show again to talk about sleep. Great. Uh, and also to talk about the other podcasts that you do. Thanks for being on the show today. We really appreciate you. And I have a lot more to think about with sleep after this. <laughs> Thank you for joining Candid Conversations. If you would like more information, go to mayfieldcounseling.com slash Candid Conversations. And check out our Facebook page, Candid Conversations with Dr. Mayfield.